self-control. Yeeehaw, let's do it, right? Those are two words to get it popping. That's what people like to do when we're starting a party is to talk about self-control. Now, this is funny because last night I experienced some self-control, meaning the lack thereof. It was about 1 o'clock in the morning, and I uh, heard a lot of noise, and I thought it was my kids. It's not my kids. It was a neighbor in the front yard yelling at their mom. And I was like, what is happening? And uh, I don't know how you are, but I'm a loving citizen that wants to be there and present and helpful if necessary. Simultaneously, a little bit nosy, okay? <laughs> Just to be honest. I'm like, what is happening? Like, I heard a little bit, but then I'm like, I want to know all that's happening. Uh, and so I'm just going to hang here with the door cracked and see what's being yelled until the cops show up. And it was just a basic, classic domestic dispute. There was no physicality, so that's why I feel free sharing this. But just classic lack of self-control. They got in this situation because they came over, were drinking, went out, celebrating, got home. One had drank too much, got in a little fight, and then she said, I'm done. I'm just going to sit here in the front yard. I'm not going to go home. I'm not going to go in your home. I'm here. And then his yelling at her, lack of self-control. Easy to paint other people's examples. Right? Very easy to paint that because the last night overt. What about that? That control of ourselves, of our body, of our desires, of our temper of our hands, you know, the little things that you didn't learn as a kid and turned into now it's a mess. I don't know how often I say to my boys, no, 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 keep your hands to yourself. If they're any time in close proximity, couch, car, bed, house, wherever they're at, <laughs> close proximity, keep your hands to yourself. You've got to learn the self-control. Like, how am I going to control myself to love other people, to realize that my actions have consequences with other people in this world. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, I want you to see this. So often we're wondering what God's will is. He makes it very explicitly clear in this regard. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is God's will. Your sanctification, your growth and maturity, your, your sanctification, I mean, you're being more and more and more conformed into the image of Jesus. You're being more loving, more gracious, more kind, more joyful, more hopeful, more uh, uh, sacrificial, okay? Your sanctification. How do you go that way? How do you become more like Jesus? That you keep away from sexual immorality that each of you knows how to control his own body and holiness and honor not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. All right. Now, I'll show you what happens if you don't follow God's will. Judges 14. Actually, go back to Judges 13. I want you to see verse 24. Was around page 200? You said, Stephen? 
Judges 13. Again, if you don't have a Bible, grab one around you. The chairs are underneath you. If you don't have one at all, take it home. Judges 13, verse 24. We're going to back up because it's been a while since we've, we've seen Samson, since November. So Judges 13, verse 24. So the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. Samson. The boy grew and the Lord blessed him. Then the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshel. Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman there. He went back and told his father and his mother, I've seen a young Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. All right. Timnah. This is like a border city. A border town in between Israel and the Philistine kind of region where they're living. Now, it's not really clear, but in this moment, it's not like the actual border, but where they're living at this moment in this time, this is the border. This is a, a border town. And so he's like, I can go down this town, and there's Philistines that live there. There's Israelites that live there. Now, to catch you all up, this is the story of Judges. Okay? This is the time after Moses and Joshua and the time before the first king of Israel Saul. And in Judges, what God has done is he's commanded the Israelites, his people, to clear out this land that he's promised to them. Now he's given them. They're to clear it out and inhabit it. And they disobey God and get on a cycle of worshiping other gods, being punished by oppression, crying out, and then God giving them a judge, a rescuer, a deliverer to rescue them from this oppression. Now, at the beginning of Judges, if you recall, and if you weren't there, this is what happens. It's very small and localized. The rebellion, the disobedience, the, the beginning to look more and more like the people around you than actually like God. That's small and localized, but we've been this for a few chapters. We've been in this for a few years. We've seen a few Judges, and as the cycles have gone, the, the disobedience and the rebellion has gotten bigger and bigger, and it's grown like a cancer throughout the whole nation, where now the whole nation looks more like the Canaanites than the God they worship. Here, at this point, we have a judge that we get the most details about. And he's the most like Bruce Willis, die-hard, action, blockbuster summer movie there is, right? Like, he's an actor, like, you should imagine a little bit of Rambo when you see, when you, when you read this. You're like, he definitely has a headband on. And there are veins. He has veins. We all know. We can see them. Veins. Okay. All right. But he, the one is sent to rescue Israel, is acting and is desiring like a Canaanite, like a pagan the judge sent to rescue them from the oppression of the Canaanites from the jump is like one, is acting like one, is desiring like one. He sees a woman. He looks at her. She looks good. He wants her as his wife. And he demands his parents to go get her for him like the new toy at Christmas. Like, I want that. Give me that. I have to have that. His father and mother said to him in verse 3, can't you find a young woman among your relatives or among any of your people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines for a wife? Now, 
superficial reading of this, it sounds good, right? You know, like, oh, they're throwing up circumcision. Okay. You may give them the benefit of the doubt and say, like, oh, I think they're recalling the covenant. They're recalling Genesis. They're, mar- they're recalling this mark of the covenant. <coughs> but his parents don't make that explicit. They push back, and it seems as if they're coming purely from the ethnic cultural dilemma. Don't go for an uncircumcised Philistine. Like not, not one of those people. It's like on the bottom of the rung in our eyes of society. Don't marry one of those people. Now, I know it's been a few weeks, but do you remember the birth announcement of Samson and how his parents responded? Whenever the angel comes and tells them, you're going to have a child, this is what he's going to be, and this is what you're going to do, they respond by worshiping, falling face down, and offering a sacrifice, right? The angel tells them, if you recall, that he's to be a Nazarite. He's not to cut his hair. He's not to drink alcohol, at the least. He's an Israelite. He's not supposed to touch dead things. That's just everyone. And what did they, they say here? They say, no, 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 don't. Can't you just find a woman from, like, our people? Not that one. You know what they don't say? Parents, can I get your attention real quick? They said some stuff, but you know what they don't say? They don't make things explicit with their son. They don't say, do you remember Deuteronomy 7, 3 through 4? Do you remember what God has told us? That this is where we would be, and he made us directions of like how we should live in this otherwise it's going to go bad for us Deuteronomy 7 3 says you must not intermarry with them and you must not give your daughters their sons or take their daughters for your sons because they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods they don't say that they also don't say hey the Lord has called you to be a Nazarite The Lord's agenda is for you to deliver us from the oppression of the Canaanites, not marry them. They don't say these things. They don't say these things. What you pass on to your kids implicitly usually gets lost on them. What was explicit for you in one generation, then explicit, implicit for the next generation, usually gets lost on the third. You following me? They heard from the angel himself of what he was supposed to be, of what they were supposed to do with him, what she, when, he, when she was still pregnant, of what she was supposed to do, not touch anything, not drink. But now he's grown up a little bit. This is where he's going. And I don't want to assume too much, but I've been around enough to know this probably isn't the first confrontation Samson has had with his parents. And for a child to be so demanding, so outright, you're going to get me what I want, sounds like his parents haven't been explicit most of his life. Haven't been clear on authority. Haven't been clear on who's in charge. Haven't been clear on what is God's wisdom. (coughs) 
He's supposed to spur the people to repentance, not lead them to false worship. So Samson responds to his father. Back to verse 3. Get her for me. She's the right one for me. And verse 4 says, His father and mother did not know this was from the Lord who wanted the Philistines to provide an opportunity for a confrontation. At that time, the Philistines were ruling Israel. Now, parents, don't read that like, well, I disregard everything Ryan said because maybe the Lord is working something through. No, no, no. Just because you don't know what the Lord might be doing through it doesn't mean you you have an excuse right now for failure. (laughs) Now, if you have a failure and you're on the other side of it, you're going to plead with God that, Lord, can you use my failures to, to make straight lines with my crooked stick? on this side you don't say oh I'm not really going to serve my kids I'm not really going to lead my kids I'm not going to correct my kids I'm really going to teach my kids uh, because I don't know what the Lord really wants to do with them maybe this is, this is what he's going to use no 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 you get to use that logic but you do see what the Lord is doing here in this cycle do you know what's missing you can say out loud if you know it Anyone notice what's missing in this cycle? The Israelites have not cried out for deliverance. They have gotten so comfortable with idolatry and living with idolatry that they don't even want to be delivered now. They don't even cry out. That's why God is saying, oh, you're okay with this? I'm not okay with this. I'm going to stir something up to pull you out of this. that right one this is wild that he says she's the right one for me that's literally straight as opposed to crooked or twisted like this is the straight line this is the straight narrow for me this is the one for me she's not crooked or twisted but the wild thing is is that we don't really know anything about her at at this point but what we know about him now at this point is that he's crooked like he's seeing things not right he's not seeing things straight And so with this judge, we have this miraculous birth, but quickly we see this portrait painted of an anti-hero, Samson. He's got this arrogant lack of respect, independent, young man, unafraid to travel into pagan territory, undaunted by the potential compromise that he's getting into. One, One commentator just sums it up by this. He's impulsive and unteachable. He's impulsive, impulsive, and unteachable. He's hasty, emotional, without thought. Any impulse that he has, he usually acts on. It's just like, let's go. Yes, I feel it. Do it. Doesn't think about it. He's hasty. His emotions seem to drive most of his actions and reactions. He's also certain... He's arrogant, he's selfish, impulsive, and unteachable. Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. This is verse 5. Suddenly, a young lion came roaring at him. The spirit of the Lord 
came powerfully on him, and he tore the line apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. What? I don't care if you've heard this story a thousand times. What? Number one, who's tearing young goats with their hands? <laughs> I just, I, I guess I'm not a real man. I've never, never done that. I don't think I can do that. <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on Samson. He tore the lion apart with his bare hands. But he did not tell his father and mother what he had done. Then he went and spoke to the woman because she seemed right to Samson. After some time, when he returned to marry her, he left the road to see the lion's carcass, and there was a swarm of bunnies, <laughs> of bees, sorry. <laughs> Just ride bunnies and honey together. They have no hope, right? <laughs> if, there's, if he's killing lions, then the swarm of bunnies is also going to get destroyed. <laughs> like shooting fish in a barrel. All right. Here we go. And there was a swarm of bees with honey in the carcass. He scooped some honey into his hands and ate it as he went along. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scooped the honey from the lion's carcass. Even the judge at this point is doing what's right in his own eyes. He saw a foreign woman. He saw a dead carcass. The woman seemed right to him. He, the judge, the deliverer, is so canonized, is so compromised that he is doing what is evil in the Lord's sight because he's just doing what is right in his own eyes. That's the chorus of judges leaving us with there's no king in Israel. Even the leader of leaders in Israel is doing what's evil. Now, bees and honey and a carcass, that doesn't make it. That should also make you go what? Have you ever seen that? All right, take the line out. Have you ever been in West Texas and seen a dead animal and then be like, I'm expecting to find a beehive in that? No, that's not normal. This should be some sign of God for you. Like, wait, this is weird. This is unique. This is interesting. This doesn't normally happen. Yeah, this is a sign of God. Bees don't normally build in dead animals. Flies and maggots do. So what's happening is, empowered by the Spirit of God, Samson has passed the physical test. But now, for someone who operates by his senses and his desires and his impulses, these bees and honey is going to test his spiritual mettle. Will, will he be true to his Nazarite vow and leave it alone or will he indulge himself? And the test becomes a, a trap and he responds triply sinful. Three things. Number one, an ordinary Israelite should have left the honey alone because any contact with the corpse renders them unclean. That's Leviticus 11, 24 through 25. Number one, shouldn't have touched it at all, left it alone. He's an Israelite. Number two, contact with a cadaver is particularly defiling for a Nazarite. 
That's number 66. And then also, did you see what he did? He, <laughs> he made his parents guilty in this as well. He ends up defiling them by giving them the honey from the dead carcass and not telling them. And that's what we find with Samson. Second Timothy 1 7. God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. And that's where Samson stops. The spirit of power. To rip lions apart with his bare hands. To do some miraculous feats to defeat the enemies. That's what's about to happen. But he's missing love and self-control, isn't he? Like we know these kind of leaders. We know these kind of heroes. We know these kind of people. They're very powerful, very strong, maybe very type A, but not loving, not self-controlled. Their gifts outpunt their character and they end up in a ditch. First Tim, his father went to visit the woman and Samson prepared a feast there as young men were accustomed to do. When the Philistines saw him, they brought 30 men to accompany him. All right, this is a feast to celebrate his wedding. Now, it sounds great in English, but in Hebrew, you realize that this feast is a seven-day drinking bout at her parents' house. He, Samson, is throwing a party at her parents' house, seven days drinking kind of frat bro party. That's what you should imagine. Another... Nazarite vow broken. Do you see this? Some of you guys have, if, if you've thought about Samson, if you've ever heard the story of Samson, you think Samson gets really, uh, uh, it's a terrible story when he cuts his hair. No, it's a terrible story all his life. His choices, his actions, what he loves, what he follows. Now, 30 men are brought uh, some of your translations may say companions, right? Uh, these aren't friends. This is security. This is like 30 security guards. Uh, not to protect Samson, to enclose Samson. To protect everyone else from Samson. It's 30 security guards. Like he shows up and then 30 security guards show up around him. Can you imagine? I've never been the biggest, toughest, strongest guy in the room, but if I was, and then 30 dudes that looked like me showed up and just kind of stared at me, and I'm like, uh, it's a party, right? We're going to drink with me, or are you just going to stare at me? Like, what is happening? It's a big old boy, but he doesn't seem bothered by them, right? It's one versus 30. He leans into it and starts a game. <laughs> Now, I know it's, uh, on, on, uh, uh, it's on a streaming platform, but like the only fiction that I ever read, this is a little tidbit about me, I don't really read a lot of fiction, but if I do read fiction, it's tough guy fiction, 
Now let's get very specific. It's, it's Jack Reacher. That's the only thing I read that is fiction. And now you guys are probably watching it. But if you recall, like I have an extended, long, like distant family member that knows Lee Child. The only thing I've heard is whenever Tom Cruise wanted to make it into a movie, they were like, wait, what? You're 5'6". The whole story is about a really big man. How are you going to play this character? All of our jokes in all of our books, like obnoxiously, every three pages is a joke about how big he is. And Tom Cruise is like, no, I'm going to produce it so I get to play it. Like, what? But the new show has a big guy. And that's, that's kind of the imagination of fear of saying, like, he's the, the biggest dude in the room. And he's standing here. It's like, let's throw a party. And 30 dudes show up. And he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, this is, I'm sure this is like a nice thing. No, I get the vibe. I see what's happening. This is one versus 30. Okay, let's play a game. Verse 12, let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can explain to me during the seven days of the feast and figure it out, I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. So I'm going to give you 31. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clothe all 30 of you, okay? But if you can't explain to me, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. He's going to fill his wardrobe. This is his wedding registry, right? He's like, I need some new clothes. I'm going to tell Riddle, I'm going to get it. They're in. Tell us your riddle, they replied. Let's hear it. And so he's got this dynamic, one versus 30, but he's not, let's not play tug of war physically. It's one versus 30. And this is strategy, or maybe this is playfulness. It's kind of a youthful, arrogant, teenage, angsty punk, right? Maybe just playful. But he's like, let's not wrestle physically, let's wrestle mentally. So we've got Samson the Riddler. In verse 14, he says to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. If you have never thought about a lion, bunnies, bees, and honey, then you have, you have no chance, right? You have no chance. This isn't a riddle. This is a rare event that you experienced that we have no, no one could get to. So you could say maybe it's unfair, but it's his party. He can create the game, I guess. After three days, they're unable to explain the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, persuade your husband to explain the riddle to us or we will burn you and your father's family to death. Did you invite us here to rob us? Samson's playing, but this is real consequences. This is real consequence. He doesn't, he doesn't even understand the gravity of his life. This is how selfish and self-involved he is that he doesn't see what's going to happen with his wife, with the, with, with the whole nation. He's just blissfully unaware, following his impulses wherever they take him, and he's got enough strength to bail him out when it gets bad. That, that's kind of his trajectory. <laughs> they threaten her this is this is the point of, of Deuteronomy 7 let me make this real quick clear quickly is this is never about ethnicity now of marriage this is always about faith okay this is if you marry someone that doesn't worship Jesus then what will happen to you over the long haul how do you 
How do you stay connected and have a best friend that doesn't see the world and worship the same thing that you do? How does that, how does that work? How's that going to affect you? How are you going to continue following Jesus with that kind of partner? With that? So no, no, don't marry that person because you'll see King Saul with all these future examples. No, if you go this way and if you let your kids go this way, they will not win everyone to Jesus. They'll start worshiping whatever is around them. So they threaten Samson's wife and now the pressure comes between an Israelite and this Philistine marriage. Weeping, she comes to him. She says, you hate me and don't love me. You told my people the riddle, but haven't explained it to me. Look, he said, I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, so why should I explain it to you? He's, he's not even, he doesn't have control over his tongue either. Right? Like, he cuts straight to it. Like, he lets her know that I haven't even, I, I even left and cleft yet. <laughs> I'm not going to leave and cleave to you. In this marriage, I'm probably going to be closer to my parents than I am to you. I haven't even told them. Why would I tell you? What do you think this is? But we know he's not very forthcoming himself. He didn't tell his parents about the lion and the honey. He didn't tell them the riddle's answer. And so he's not going to tell her. She weeps the whole seven days of the feast. And at last, on the seventh day, he explained it to her because she had nagged him so much. Then she explained it to her people. On the seventh day before sunset, the men of the city said to him, seventh day sunset, that's the, that's the final countdown. That's it. It's winding down. When the sun sets, that's it. And so they gather and say, hey, here we are. What is sweeter than honey, Samson? What's stronger than a lion, Samson? And he responds with, if you hadn't plowed with my young cow, you wouldn't know my riddle now. And that's his two-liner response. And the CSB helps that, that rhyme to see the, the, point, the point of that statement, the staff of that statement. And if you're wondering about the translation, yes, he said young cow. And yes, in Hebrew, it's as disparaging as it is in English. You know, this isn't a Song of Solomon quote. Your, your neck's like a gazelle. No, he's saying, my young heifer. You manipulated her. That's the only way you won. You used her. You got to her. To my little cow, my little heifer. Now what's wild is what's about to happen again in verse 19. So let me acknowledge this. Does God work with crooked sticks? Okay, let me ask it this way. Has God worked with you and through you? If the second question is yes, then the first question is yes, because you're a crooked stick. Now, we don't like this because his stick, him, he, he's real crooked, crooked, right? Doesn't seem any even redeeming quality. But that's what makes grace, grace. Did you hear me? We want our leaders and ourselves to, to get to the point where they earn the grace. But no, Samson's not earning it. 
The Israelites haven't even cried out for this. This is unmerited favor shown on a people because the God is loving. So God has always worked with crooked sticks. And is somehow mysteriously, providentially able to be sovereignly in control and we have human responsibility and those things go side by side and don't compete with one another. So God uses Samson's even desires and actions and foolishness to confront, to stir up, to cause the the Israelites and Philistines to fight so that he can again show his kindness to his people and pull them from oppression. To pull them to himself and say there isn't a better God out there. The Perizzites, you tried it. The Rizzites, you tried it. The Hivites, you tried it. Now the Canaanites, you can try it. There is not a better God. There's not a better way of life out there. Come back to me. That's how gracious he is. So verse 19, working with crooked sticks, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on Samson, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men. He stripped them and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. In a rage, Samson returned to his father's house, and his wife was given to one of the men who had accompanied him. What in verse in chapter 15 we'll figure out that that means his father-in-law gave his wife to another man in that moment. In rage and anger. So the spirit of the Lord comes upon him to act, but how Samson acts is in rage and fury, vengeance, and taking justice in his own hands. Now, I can theologically understand that the Lord is doing something here, right? This is his plan. This is his work. But that doesn't mean that this is wise. It doesn't mean that you should follow in the footsteps, footsteps of Samson. I'll tell you why. Because at the beginning, I, I told you 1 Thessalonians 4. That's clear. That's, this is the will of God. Now let me show you some wisdom, okay? Like this is what God wants from you. This is the, like, abstain from sexual immorality. Control your body. That's what you are to do. Now here's some wisdom of why and what it looks like and how it does it. In Proverbs 16.32, God tells us patience is better than power. Ah, No. You don't believe that. Okay? Maybe we'll read it a few more times and begin to believe. Patience is better than power. That's why God says his wisdom is wisdom and our wisdom is folly because I don't get that. Patience is better than power and controlling one's emotions is better than capturing a city. Samson, patience is better Controlling your emotions, not going into that blind rage, that blind fury. Controlling your emotions is better than capturing a city. Proverbs 25, 28 also gives the wisdom that a person 
who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. It's like a house with a front door off the hinges. It makes you mad, vulnerable, exposed, weak, susceptible to attack. can't control your temper you're making yourself vulnerable open like a city to be attacked and ruined so for almost at the end of judges why isn't there social progress why hasn't new technology, what it made things better. Why have things got worse? Why has it got bigger? Why does cancer grow when it doesn't just naturally minimize? Because there's real evil and darkness in this world and it likes to grow and envelop and take over. And you've got a judge empowered by the Spirit and he speaks in riddles and he takes from people and he leaves his wife and goes home in a rage. Ah, Samson is not the one we've been longing for. And I'm... I'm I know this isn't a new twist to you, but for the, the people of Israel, for them, this is another, like, maybe our hope. He's stronger. He's more powerful. He gets things done. Like, you glimmer of hope. The angel telling your parents of who he's going to be, and he's got a Nazarite vow on him. There's got to be something special about this one. And then as soon as he's in his adult life, wildness. more Canaanite than God. But then you have a judge who comes later who's, who's not Canaanite and he's fully God and he's empowered by the Spirit and he kind of speaks in riddles but not riddles, he calls them parables. And he doesn't take from people, he just keeps going around giving to people. Is giving and giving. He doesn't go fight someone and steal their clothes. He goes and gives and gives and gives to people that are needy. And, and he doesn't leave his wife and go do his own thing. He actually secures his wife forever by dying in her place for her. And then he raises from the grave, not in a rage to return to the Father's house, but in a joy to return to the Father's house, waiting for the day that he's going to return and pull us into his father's house that we'll be with him forever and get to experience his power, his love, and his self-control because that's what kind of leader he is. And because of that, that's what he's given you. The reality is the Spirit of God is not just for Samson. The Spirit of God is not just for one person now. Because Christ has come and sent the Spirit, the Spirit of God is for all of His people to dwell permanently with them 
to empower them to whatever he's calling you to. Empowering you to whatever he's calling to. Now, personally, I think I would make it explicit that he's calling you to God's will. Why did I say that at the beginning? Well, let's stay on topic. That you would abstain from sexual immorality and control your anger, control your body, control your hands, control your mouth. How can you do that? Because you've been given not the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power. Power to say no to your sinful desires, your impulses. <laughs> say no to just acting hastily. And you got the spirit of love to not be absorbed with everything I think and I want, but actually to love people around me and to see, oh, there's consequences and the things that I do bear fruit or, or bear brokenness in people's life. I can see that I've given the spirit of power and love to love, to serve, oh, and self-control so that I can actually have a disciplined life so that my life is not messy and wherever I go, I make messes with other people because I don't have any discipline. No, I've been given the spirit of power and love, and self-control. So I don't have to go down the Samson route, I can go down the Jesus route. So that I can live the will of God. One more contrast, because I said Samson is such the Bruce Willis die-hard character the John Wayne. I think I told Kalen this week that Jack Reacher is just the new John Wayne. The modernized John Wayne. And that's been our examples. That's been our heroes to behold, to look at. What I'm saying is look at some of those and then see how the Bible paints Samson see they're kind of all in the same category but there's someone else who stands head and shoulders above the category and he's super powerful but he's also loving and controlled not impatient but he's slow to anger not hastily throwing out judgment but kind and gracious not arrogant with a lack of respect for his father his parents Others know humility and love to serve. This is Jesus. The Jesus to behold, to look at, to see. To see, just like Samson saw. Jesus to see and to behold and say, I want that. I want him. Father, give me Jesus. 